water. Good morning. You turn with me, with you, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and, and as you turn there, I will briefly greet anyone who may be joining us as guests, either here in the room or uh, via live stream, and uh, let you know a little bit about what Covenant Mercies is all about. Today is Covenant Mercies Sunday. Uh, my name is Doug, and from my role on this pastoral team, I lead this separate nonprofit that we've established uh, for the purpose of, of joining hands with our brothers and sisters in the developing world to care for orphans. And I will be updating you briefly on the ministry after we begin in God's Word, but we always want to ground ourselves in God's Word in terms of our motivation. Why is it that we engage in this ministry? So if you're with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to begin reading in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the all-surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Well, if we needed any further evidence of the wide disparity between life in the prosperous West and life in the developing world, uh, the slow but steady march of the coronavirus pandemic toward developing nations from the developed world earlier this year provided it. As infections advanced country by country in Africa, the average person grappled, with, uh, grappled in a much different way with the mitigation strategies that had by that time become favored policy here. For most Western nations, as you know, the protocol adopted to defeat the virus has been social distancing, including a shutdown of most businesses, stay-at-home orders for most of the population during extended periods of time. This option was a possibility for us because, by God's grace, most of us are able to shut things down for several weeks and still expect to eat. Uh, that it cannot be assumed, however, for a day laborer earning one or two dollars a day. Uh, it's simply not possible. Now, if I'm that person, whether I eat today may depend on whether I work today. As one Pakistani woman memorably summarized in a dilemma, her dilemma earlier this year in an article I read in the spring, she said, quote, we don't know if we will get the virus. 
What I do know is that we get hungry three times a day. In the countries where we're serving in Covenant Mercies, a large percentage of the population lives on less than $2 per day. Few have the ability to stock up and shelter at home for weeks. Uh, Supplies on hand will run out in days, not weeks. And income will need to be generated to buy more. So in short, uh, staying at home is a luxury that most will feel they cannot afford. They don't know if they'll get the virus, but they do know that they need to eat. Well, we thank God that thus far the coronavirus has not had the deadly impact on the African continent that many had feared. And I'll update you again a little on how things are going in our program areas later. Uh, But nonetheless, this situation has been a reminder for me of what led us to launch Covenant Mercies back in 2002. Uh, Establishing partnerships first in Uganda, then in Zambia, and then later in Ethiopia. In these nations, another virus, HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, had swept through and left millions dead, millions more suffering, and millions of orphans in its wake. While the occasion for Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 has nothing to do with the virus, it does have to do with an outward condition that's affecting people in one part of the world differently from others. The the believers in Jerusalem were suffering under severe famine and poverty, while the Corinthian Christians were experiencing relative prosperity. The Apostle Paul's appeal for sacrificial generosity to relieve the suffering of their Jewish brethren is based and founded completely on the grace of God. And in these two short chapters, Paul uses the term grace, the Greek term charis, No no fewer than eight times, and three times he refers to their giving as, quote, an act of grace. So as we focus on uh, chapter 9 this morning, the Lord has much grace for us in our effort to faithfully steward the abundance he has given us. And I want to just draw three uh, principles, three G's of, uh, three G's that motivate Christian generosity. Um, I know we're talking a lot about 5G these days. I only have three G's for you this morning. Three G's that motivate Christian generosity. The first, the gracious command. The gracious command. A few years ago, I was led through an exercise of doing an inductive study of this very passage of Scripture that we're we're, uh, dwelling on this morning. And the assignment was to mark up this passage, putting a box around any commands, underlining any promises, circling any repeated words, a few other exercises like that, to draw out the meaning of the passage. And then then we just took some time to reflect, meditate on the passage in light of those observations. When I walked through that exercise, asking these questions of the text, I noticed something that had never stood out to me before in all my readings of it previously. Here in these two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that probably represent the most comprehensive teaching on Christian generosity in all of Scripture, we are nowhere commanded to give. Now, Paul comes very close to that in verse 8, where he says, "Each each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give. But he continues from there to say that their giving should not be under compulsion. And earlier, just a few paragraphs earlier in in chapter 8, verse 8, 
he goes out of his way to insist explicitly, I say this not as a command. So even though it's true that all must give, and and there's a claim on that for us, we need to feel the weight of that. Giving to the poor is not an optional extra for the Christian. And even the Macedonian Christians, remember, have have given out of their own deep poverty. But even though uh, it's true that all must give, Paul doesn't take the Nike approach. He doesn't say, just do it. Come on, you know what a Christian is supposed to do, just do it. Now, even though he has the apostolic authority to command them, he very intentionally stops short. So what is the biblical imperative of this passage? How does the Apostle Paul encourage the Corinthian Christians to give generously? Let's go back to my book study, my inductive study. Uh, the booklet I was using for that study was the, uh, had the text printed out for us in the NIV so we could mark it up. And in the New International Version, verse 6 begins, Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also be, reap bountifully. Remember this. That's an imperative. That's a command. I put a box around it. And as I read through the rest of that passage, I put a box around nothing else. The Apostle Paul is urging generosity upon the Corinthian believers. And there is an urgency about it because the Jews, uh, the saints in Jerusalem are suffering under severe famine. But notably, he doesn't use his apostolic authority to command them to give. The imperative he impresses upon them is to remember something. Remember this, he says. Now, I'm sure some of you are looking down at your ESV text right now and noticing that it's translated differently here. Um, The ESV renders this phrase, the point is this, which sounds very different. It sounds uh, much less imperative. And I'm not going to pretend to be a Greek scholar and weigh in, well, if I was on the translation committee, I would say. Um, I'm not going to do that, but... In my study, as I've, as I've studied this term more deeply, here's what I've learned. Regardless of how it's translated into English, there is a sense of exhortation in the original language, urging the reader's attention to what he's about to say next. Now mark this. Think about this. Let me draw your attention to this. Remember this. The burden urged upon us here is to remember the grace of God and the promises of God and to let our generous giving flow directly out of that. See, Paul wants no part of compelling the Corinthians to do something that ultimately they're resistant to doing. And likewise, my heart for you as your pastor, our hearts for you as a pastoral team, is not to twist your arms into doing something that you really don't want to do. Rather, my task this morning is to remind you of what the grace of God has already accomplished in you by transforming you into a new creation and reminding you of how that same grace transforms the desires of your heart. Verse 7, each one of us must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's something I can say with total confidence about you. Because of God's grace, you want to sow bountifully into the kingdom. 
You want to. It's true. There's no need for exaction. There's no need for manipulation. There's no need for arm twisting because God has made your heart willing and eager to give. Now, does this mean that we always feel equally eager, always equally willing, always equally cheerful about giving? Especially truly sacrificial giving? No. Of course not. We continue to battle against the flesh. And in our battle against the flesh, let none of us read this statement in verse 7 that we shouldn't give reluctantly as an opt-out clause for Christian generosity. Well, I, I, I would love to give, but I feel reluctant about it. I would, you know, I'd participate, but I, I'm not really cheerful about it, so I'm going to wait until I feel cheerful. If that's our takeaway, we have tragically missed the point. Um, if that's the posture of your heart, let me challenge you this morning. You'd be, better, uh, you'd be better off asking yourself some hard questions. Why am I not a cheerful giver? Jesus himself said that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do I believe him? Is my heart more attuned to material things than it is to eternal matters? Have I bought into the values of the world more than the values of the kingdom? Am I trying to find joy and satisfaction in the things of this world rather than finding my joy and satisfaction where God himself has told me I'll find it? Oh, brothers and sisters, the things of this world will never deliver the joy and satisfaction they promise. Now, if I can't give with joy, the solution to that problem is not to cease giving, but to ask the Lord to incline my heart to this thing that he refers to as an act of grace. And listen, sometimes we just need to take action in faith based on what we know to be true from God's word, true and right and good for us, and then trust that our heart will follow. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, don't follow your heart. That's some really bad advice that our culture will give you today. Follow your heart. That's, that's bad advice. Don't follow your heart. Follow God's word. In, in faith, invest your treasure into that which God says is truly valuable and trust that your heart will follow. And I can tell you that it will. If you struggle to give, if you would confess that you have a hard time doing it cheerfully, don't be satisfied to remain in that state. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you uh, this grace, help you to grow in this grace. Pray that the Lord would teach you to give freely with joy, recognizing that all you sow and all you reap is given to you by the Lord of the harvest who loves to provide an abundance of seed for those who sow bountifully. And that brings us directly to our second point, the generous promise, the generous promise that motivates our giving. What is God's promise to us as we invest in his kingdom? Verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's a promise that I don't like so much. But listen to how it continues. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
as believers, we give with the expectation that our faithful God will fulfill his promise to reward our faithfulness. We sow with the expectation of reaping a bountiful harvest. Now you might say, whoa, 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 slow down, wait a minute. You're sounding a lot like one of those health and wealth guys. This, this is, is this a give to get proposition? Well, sadly, it's true. This is a, a, a text that has been abused horribly by health and wealth liars and manipulators. And their lies and manipulations would be exposed if we only continued reading through the rest of the passage. Their interpretation of this text assumes that the reaping is for the purpose of self-indulgence. What we see in the verses that follow uh, show that it's nothing of the sort. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all times, you may, you may abound in every good work. I just love the, all the alls and everys of, of that verse. And did you notice the alls, all the alls are building toward the every good work. That's what we're being equipped to do. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Why? So you can fly around in a private jet and, and live in the lap of luxury? No, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. To be generous in every way which through us will produce many thanksgivings to God. Our bountiful sowing into the kingdom of God results in the Lord of the harvest providing us with more seed for additional sowing, all of which results in an exponential increase in praise and glory to his name. Uh, this has nothing to do with self-indulgence and everything to do with continual growth in generosity as we steward the ever-increasing abundance that the Lord provides. I was thinking about this last week as I was planting my garlic bed. Uh, I don't know what you think about when you plant your garlic bed. Um, this is what I was thinking about. And, and I'll give you a little tip. By the way, um, shout out to Kim Sikora who, who taught me how to grow garlic. Um, you go to a farmer's market. You can go to a farmer's market and get one bulb of, of nice, healthy-looking, hard-neck garlic, all right? Now, that, that bulb breaks down into cloves, and there's usually about 10 or so per, per bulb. So you can take your 10 cloves from that one garlic bulb, plant them, and next year you will have 10 bulbs of 10 cloves each. So you've just gone from 10 cloves to 100 cloves in one year. Now, do your 100, if you want to replant your 100 cloves, next year you have 1,000, and the mathematicians among us can take it from there. It won't take long to go from one bulb to an abundance. This is the biblical metaphor that we're given here. This is what the Lord wants us to meditate upon as we think about financial giving into his kingdom. It, it, and the biblical logic is, is this. If you want to reap sparingly, go ahead and sow sparingly. You could buy that bulb of garlic and eat all ten cloves. But we'll spend a little time for yourself, uh, by yourself after that, I think. But um, you could eat all ten of those cloves, not plant any of them. Or you can sow bountifully with the expectation of a bountiful harvest. And here's the biblical logic as well. Why? Would you want to limit the abundance 
of God's provision, why would you want to limit the abundance of God's promises to pour out grace and much more seed on those who sow bountifully? Why would you want to restrain the one who is able to make every grace abound to you so that you can abound in every good work, enriching you in every way so you can be generous in every way? Do any of us want to look that promise in the eye and say, ah, no thanks? Now, this isn't magic, and God is, does not become our genie when we give into his kingdom. We must never hold specific expectations over his head because of our giving as if he's obligated to fulfill his promise to us precisely how we see fit. Um, but brothers and sisters, he is faithful to fulfill his promise. Let me ask you, when the Lord prospers you, when the Lord increases you, and I know we Everyone in the room is not in that place right now. This has been a hard year for all of us in some ways and a, and a hard year for some of us in, in particular ways. But when the Lord prospers and increases you, do you recognize that he's giving you more seed for sowing into his kingdom work? He's inviting you into a cycle of abundance, and he doesn't want you to miss out on the joy of sowing into the kingdom of God and watching him as the Lord of the harvest uphold his end of the bargain, equipping you with an abundance of seed for sowing and bread for food so that you can abound in every good work and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And that phrase, the harvest of your righteousness, leads to our third and final point. As we obey the gracious command, and invest into this generous promise, the Lord of the harvest produces gospel fruit. So let's talk finally about the gospel fruit that motivates our giving. Now the first way to look at this is that our generosity is itself a fruit of the gospel. And Paul makes this about as clear as, as it could be. Did you notice this in verse 13 when we read earlier? By their approval of this service, that is, by their approval of your generous gift, they will glorify God because of your submission. Listen, that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Our generosity flows directly from our faith, from our confession of the gospel of Christ. And this is why Paul could speak with such confidence earlier in chapter 8 about the Corinthians' eagerness to give based on the fact that they know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. When the gospel takes root in our hearts, it naturally results in Christ-like generosity. I love the way Kent Hughes comments on this section of 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Paul's call to ready, willing, and generous giving is not a call to reach down deep within our own beings and rise to the best that is within us. Rather, it's a call to authentically come to Christ in true belief and repentance. It's a call to contemplate Christ's giving as an example for our giving, his embrace of poverty that we might become rich. It's not a call to legalistic observance, but to grace. It is a call to rise to his best within us. It's not a call to save ourselves, but to demonstrate by our giving 
that our faith is not in vain. This is the way the grace of God works. It makes that which would be impossible apart from faith, not only possible, but the normal expression of faith. This kind of eager, gracious, generous giving is what the gospel produces in us. But amazingly, as if, as if that beautiful gospel fruit is not enough, even that is not an end in itself. Our generosity is not only a fruit of the gospel's work in us, it's also a means by which the gospel fruit is produced in others. Exponentially, just like that, that garlic bed. Again, let's read verses 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, wonderful, that's a, that's a wonderful, necessary, practical help, not only providing, supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they, now they meaning the people whose present need is being met by our generous stewardship of our present abundance, they will glorify God. This is the fruit that the gospel produces. First, it produces our generosity. Then, our generosity overflows in many thanksgivings to God. It overflows when the recipients of the blessings give glory to God. They give glory to God because they know that ultimately it comes from Him. And when we established Covenant Mercies 18 years ago, we couldn't possibly have anticipated the many thanksgivings for God, many thanksgivings to God that would overflow from the lips of those whose lives have been touched and transformed by your generosity. But today... We have an ever-increasing number of young people graduating from our programs in three African nations, glorifying God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And as I read some of their words, I want you to feel the pleasure of God. This is because of your submission, because of your generosity that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. These young people are expressing their thanksgiving and glory to God. I'll begin with Abraham, who's uh, pictured here with his, his dear mother, who he adores. Uh, Abraham has just graduated. He's uh, Ethiopian. He's, he's just graduated from university in Addis Ababa with a degree in computer science. And you know what? I am not going to be able to tell you about all these kids. So after this, I'm just telling you their names. Um, but these are Abraham's words. All thanks to God, he says, who never took his eyes off of me. No words could possibly express how happy I was when I was informed that I had been chosen to receive the sponsorship blessing. My mom's sickness and financial problems at my young age placed me in such a big challenge and so much burden. However, with this program, you have turned my problems into somewhat of a blessing. Your generosity encourages me to continue to be hopeful through life. Or these words from Shalom. I'm thankful to God for my life. I am what I am today, not on my own making, but by his mercies. So this has always increased my faith and trust in him. I know, that, I know that with God, everything is possible, no matter how the situation may seem to be. 
But God, who began a good work in me, will carry it up to completion. These words from Alex. I'm so grateful to God for changing my life and favoring me, and to Covenant Mercies for extending the helping hand of God to me. I'll never be the same again. These words from Bridget. I really owe all my progress to the Almighty God because it's been Him since day one. I've learned that he is very able and his plans are far better than my own understanding because I never dreamt that at one time I would also reach this far. Well, these words from Charles, and I have to tell you, I, we were singing his Mercy is More this morning. I looked and I saw the sponsors who gave generously over a period of years to Charles. I won't mention you by name, but I trust you feel the pleasure of the Lord. I wish to thank God for giving people generous hearts and a lively faith, animated by this kind of charity and a compassion of caring for people the way my sponsors have done to me. And I pray that he may continue guiding these people and inspiring all of us who've also been helped through his mercy so that tomorrow we may be, we may be able to show his mercy and his love to other people. And they may realize his existence with them and his love to them. Brothers and sisters, do you hear in those beautiful words the exponential impact of your generosity? I trust you feel the Lord's pleasure and, and I trust that we all hear those words and feel motivated to continue pressing on and investing in this great gospel work that the Lord has called us to. Now, in the next few minutes, I'm going to update you briefly on the ministry. Uh, and as I transition to doing that, let me begin by offering many thanksgivings to God for his care and protection over our children. Uh, we are presently serving about 1,450 children in Uganda, Ethiopia, and Zambia, many of whom live with elderly grandparents as their primary caregivers. Yet we are aware of none, no child, no guardian who has been affected by the coronavirus, uh, nor have any been sick to the point of hospitalization. Uh, this is a tremendous answer to prayer, and I know it's a tremendous answer to many of your prayers. Um, now, despite the amazing blessing of having zero coronavirus casualties among our sponsored children and families, um, the lockdowns have the potential, as, as I uh, alluded to earlier, to exacerbate conditions of poverty and make families already living on the edge feel even more desperate. Uh, but thanks to your support, we've been able to provide necessary food and hygienic supplies to our families to, to get them through what's really amounted to a historic crisis. Here you're looking at a photo of, of one of our food distribution days at Lighthouse Christian School. So using that as a base, uh, we were able to navigate through the situation and help these families get through a time when their normal income generating activities have been limited. But listen, when I say thanks to your support, I don't just mean your sustained support for these last six months, although that's been critical as well. What I also mean is your pre-existing support, which meant that we didn't need to invent an infrastructure of care during a time of intensified crisis. Uh, you've helped us to develop that infrastructure of care over a period of 18 years so that when an unexpected crisis came, when hardship was, was placed upon hardship, we already had a well-worn path to the doors of the neediest families in the communities where we serve. Um, but, 
by God's grace through your generosity, uh, we've been able to do much more than merely sustain through a difficult year in 2020. Uh, as you know, our goal in the lives of the children is to see them restored to everything God has created them to be as his image bearers. And this means that education is one of the key uh, tools in our tool belts. It's absolutely critical to our mission. And this is why we've invested so heavily into school projects over the last several years. Um, last year, you may recall, if you were here for Covenant Mercy Sunday last year, uh, we, uh, we were at a place where we had invested about a quarter of a million dollars into the purchase of land, into engineering and site planning, uh, and, and the beginning of our first phase of development at uh, a brand new school project in Kibura, Uganda. And our goal, that this, this uh, site plan will be phased in over a period of years, Lord willing, but our goal was to complete phase one of that project before the start of the new school year so that the, the school would have sufficient space for the children. And that school year was set to begin February 2020. Uh, we stood about thirty-two dollars or $33,000 away from achieving that goal. We put that need before you as a church last year, and in typical generous fashion, you responded to that offering, not only uh, meeting the goal, but exceeding the goal. So when the school year began, uh, Hope Community Primary School was well-equipped with everything they needed to welcome its first 90 students in pre-K through grade one. Uh, now, despite the fact that uh, all schools in Uganda had to close their doors only about a month later due to the coronavirus. This was a day to celebrate, and believe me, our friends and partners on the ground in Uganda will not soon forget that day. It also positioned them to continue caring for the children educationally even through this crisis. Uh, we put together a brief video that, that gives you a bird's-eye view of the campus thus far, thus far, and also introduces you to Rosabella, our head teacher at Hope Community. So let's go ahead and roll that video. You're welcome to Hope Community Primary School. I'm called Sabit Rosabella, the head teacher of this school. My purpose here is to direct my staff on what they're supposed to do and be in the vision of the school. Thank you so much for loving us, for supporting us, and supporting our children.
Well, be, because our, uh, the provision of quality Christian education is so critical to our mission, we wasted no time after launching Hope Community in Uganda before commencing the next phase of development at Lighthouse Christian School in Ndola, Zambia. So let me fly. Okay, we're already in Zambia. Um, you're looking at the, the campus as it stood several months ago with, with our first two classroom buildings right there. Uh, we've been working in Zambia with Wilbrod and Ziki Chanda for the past 14 years now, and we have about 300 sponsored children uh, receiving their education through Lighthouse each and every year. I'm going to show you an artist's rendering of the building that we're working on now. This is the, the new structure that will accompany those other two structures on the campus. You can see the raised ceiling in the center there. That's for a, a large assembly hall um, where we'll be able to gather the children for large events. We may even be able to rent this out for a church plant right there in the community where so many of our children live as well. Um, and I want you to see the progress now. We've made some good progress. There is the the, uh, the artist didn't really anticipate the, the pile of debris there, but um, we'll get that cleaned up, don't worry. But this is the progress thus far on this exciting new project, and many of you have given toward that this year. We had a matching challenge, which we met, and uh, thank you for your participation in that project as well. This new building will give us the capacity uh, to expand uh, the, the school to add grades 8 and 9 and will also enhance the quality of the children's education in so many other ways with a library, with a computer lab, science labs, and things like that. Well, our goal is to have that new uh, building completed before the beginning of the school year in February 2021. Uh, but as you know, we aren't investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into these projects so that we can have impressive buildings to talk about or, or beautiful campuses. We are investing in anticipation of the many thanksgivings to God that we will hear from the lips of those children overflowing in the, in the years and decades to come. I really want to commend our orphan sponsorship program to you this morning. By God's grace, we haven't lost very many sponsors this year. That was also a big prayer of ours as, as economic uncertainty uh, began to take hold. Uh, but if there's one setback we have experienced this year as a result of the COVID situation, it's that we haven't been able to add very many new children to our program uh, in this year. We've been hovering around 1,450 all year long, and we would really love to push our total number of sponsored kids over 1,500 before the end of this year if we can. So if, if you are able, you haven't yet sponsored a child or if you are sponsoring children but you're able to find room in your budget for more, this would be an excellent way to apply today's message and so bountifully into the kingdom of God. Uh, there are sponsorship tables in the lobby. We've got things spread out much more than we, we have in the past. So, Lord willing, you'll be able to find your way uh, in a socially distanced way to consider those children. Um, we also have iPads that you could take outside. And, and uh, right on the front door there, you can um, look for children that you may want to sponsor. Or if you're joining us by live stream as well, uh, we're about to show a video that will not only tell you a little bit more about the sponsorship program, but will also show you exactly how you can select a child to sponsor through our website. Uh, after that, Jared is going to come and tell you how you can participate in a special offering that we are collecting today. Thank you, Covenant Fellowship, for the many ways you have generously sown into this ministry through the years. I leave you with this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness.
Amen.